Good evening. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. And we are in verses 6 through 18, the last verse of this chapter and the last verse of this epistle. And we'll not finish it all tonight either. We started this uh, the last time we were here, this section, and worked our way through some of it. Let me go ahead and read this portion, though, and then... Uh, We'll pray, and then we'll have our Bible study here tonight, okay? Let's look in verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any man, any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren... Be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would teach us from your word, remind us of truth, and Lord, give us a heart, Lord, to be uh, in line and with the word of God. And Father, in tune with the spirit of God, a humble heart that is willing to be obedient uh, to the truth of God. And Lord, may your word work in us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Previously, we stated that in this chapter, chapter 3, Paul is dealing with with a situation that was produced from a wrong view or wrong belief by some in the church regarding the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And their misunderstanding led them to believe that Jesus Christ was going to return at any second, it probably tomorrow, and so on. And, and, and truly, we operate that way as believers. The, the return of the Lord is imminent, meaning any minute, it could be at any moment. But they had taken it to the extent that uh, the Lord is, is going to come at any moment. And what had happened was, apparently, uh, some people in anticipation of the return of the Lord stopped working. Uh, why is it, what's the point? Potentially, possibly. What's the point of working? The Lord's going to come and we're going to be out of here or the day of the Lord is here, etc., etc. And they stopped working to provide for themselves or their families. Well, and it seems like that was the case. It led to idleness in their life. As the Lord did not come and they were not working, they had lots of time on their hands and their idleness 
ended up leading to other problems, namely being busybodies, as Paul says in verse 11. And Paul said to them in the church that this behavior was a disorderly walk. He called them disorderly. That word meant irregular. It meant out of step. It's the same word that is translated as unruly uh, in another portion of Scripture that means unarranged and insubordinate. And so this was something that was going on in the church, and Paul needed to address that and also to uh, correct that behavior because that kind of behavior was not acceptable in a New Testament church. And we had said that what we would see in this passage was the reprimands that Paul gives, and then finally, the final remarks that Paul leaves. And we started into considering the reprimands that Paul gives in this passage of Scripture. There were a few important things that Paul wanted to bring out in order to correct these deficiencies, because these deficiencies, if left alone, were going to be very damaging to the church as a whole. They didn't apply to everyone in the church, certainly. And yet Paul said that this was an epistle to the church. It was to be a letter that was read before all. And so it therefore became good instruction for everybody, even though not all the people in the church were in this exact same boat. Because Paul did say, uh, those of you, uh, he said, be not weary in well-doing. There were some who were doing well, and Paul had praised them earlier in this letter as well. And so we started talking about some of these reprimands, and we considered, first of all, the recipients. Who actually was Paul talking to? Who were the recipients of these corrections? Well, we said, first of all, it was to the lazy. In verses 10 and 11, Paul said, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all. And so the first group of people that Paul was writing these corrections to were to those who were not working, the lazy. Apparently, some were floating along. And they became uh, those who were imposing on other people for support of the daily needs because they were not working. And he reminds them, listen, I told you this before. If you don't work, neither should you eat. And we talked about how work is important. In fact, the Christian ought to be an example and be the most diligent and best workers as a reflection of Jesus Christ. And we ought to be uh, at least as or more conscientious in our labor and in our work than anybody else. Work ethic matters for all kinds of things, including testimony. And the applications that we made there were right in our text because Paul said in, when it comes to work, he said, you know what, you ought to be an example when it comes to work. In verse 7, for yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. He's talking about in the context of work. He said, we're an example. You know what, Christians ought to be an example. He said he, another application that we made was in verse 8, don't be a freeloader. A Christian ought not to be a freeloader. In verse 8, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day. 
that we might not be chargeable to any of you. That phrase, uh, eat any man's bread for naught, basically carries the meaning of add another's burden. In other words, we didn't eat bread at another's burden. We worked. We worked night and day so that we wouldn't be chargeable to any of you. Don't be a freeloader. And then, he said, and then another application we made was in ver- the second part of verse 8 because he said, we labored and travailed night and day. When we work, we ought to work hard and we ought to work long if necessary. And those were some applications that we made as Paul makes this correction to those who were lazy, not working at all. The second group of people that Paul is addressing here is those who were busybodies. In verse 11, he said, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. That idleness that these people were living by led to other problems, and the other problems, namely, was that they were becoming busybodies. We said that the word meant to bustle about, to meddle. And it carries the meaning of trifling about with needless or useless matters. It carries the meaning of, of, of basically sticking your nose in somebody else's business and ended up making mountains out of molehills because you got too much time on your hands. And if you are busy, and if you are working, and if you have the right mindset, you don't have time to be meddling in other people's business. This was considered a disorderly walk. The third recipients or group that Paul was addressing were those who were disobedient or insubordinate. Verse 14, Paul says, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Notice how he says here, If any man obey not our word by this epistle. Well, what is he talking about? He's referring to, to something that he had already said back in verse 6. In verse 6, he says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Now, we talked about that word tradition in verse 6, and we said how it means the transmission of a precept or law. In other words... Paul was transmitting a law or a precept from the Lord. It wasn't his own words. He was the messenger of it. And Paul says in that verse that those who are walking disorderly are walking in a way that is contrary to the teaching or the precept or the law that is being transmitted on the authority of Jesus Christ. And so some were living in a way that was contrary to the teaching and preaching of Paul, and and that teaching and preaching was given on the authority of Jesus Christ. And the application we made there is there's no room for that in a New Testament church. That when 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 people live in a way that is contrary to the word of God, willingly or choosing to, It's a contentious spirit that is unhealthy for the body, and it needs to be corrected. And so those were the things that we talked about, the recipients of these reprimands. Well, Paul goes on, not just addressing 
the issue, but Paul gives some instruction to the church in what the church should do about it. And so we're going to consider tonight the rules. Paul gives the reprimands, but I want us to consider the rules here uh, that Paul gives in these verses. What do you do with these individuals who are living this way within the church? What do you do with those who are walking disorderly and not after the teaching of the word of God? Well, Paul addresses it. So he addresses the issues, but then he tells the church, here's what you should do about these things. And there are three things that we find that Paul gives in these verses here. Verse 14, first of all, we're going to consider, we need to, what does a church do? You identify them and then you separate from them. The second thing is that you admonish them and that you love them in the Lord. And we're going to consider these tonight as we dig into these verses. So, what is the teaching of this text? What is the teaching of this passage? And what applications do we make from it here tonight? Well, Paul says what you do as a church with these who are walking disorderly. He says, first of all, you need to identify them and then you separate from them. Look in verse 14. He says, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Now go back up to verse 6. Paul says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. Paul is saying, here's what needs to happen with those who walk disorderly among the church. You need to identify who they are and you need to separate yourself. The seriousness of his exhortation is seen in the use of the word command in verse 6. Paul says, we command you. The appeal that Paul is making here is in the name of the Lord Jesus, and the nature of the command is that you withdraw yourself. The word command here, listen to this, it means to instruct with authority. And so Paul is saying, I'm giving you some instruction here as a church but it's with authority. The word was a military word that was often used of a command from a superior officer. Well, the superior in this case is Jesus Christ. He says, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The instruction is on the authority of Jesus Christ. That's a big deal. It's a serious, a serious level here that Paul is talking about. Now, I want us to take a look at a few other words related to this. Go back down to verse 14. Paul says, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man. That word note means to distinguish from others for the purpose of avoidance. All right, so you following this? So Paul says, make a distinction. Distinguish from others for the purpose of avoidance. In verse 6, we saw the word withdraw. Paul said you withdraw yourselves from those that walk disorderly. The word withdraw means to abstain. It means to avoid. Now notice back down in verse 14, another word, where Paul says, have no com company with him. That phrase comes from a word that basically means to mix up together 
or have fellowship with. All right, so you following this? The thought and the idea. Withdraw, to abstain, to avoid. Note that person. Make a distinction. Distinguish from others. Mark for the purpose of avoiding. Have no company with. Mix up together. Fellowship. Well, when you have fellowship, it implies that there has to be agreement in order to have fellowship. Amos 3.3, can two walk together except they be agreed? Something in common, fellowship. And so this is the first instruction that Paul gives to the church. When there are those who are walking disorderly, you need to identify them and then avoid them. Now, this seems like a form of church discipline, does it not? Seems like it to me. But I want to make a note here tonight on the matter of discipline. The nature of church discipline isn't always the same. The matter of church discipline can involve a few different aspects. The way that we handle matters inside of a church, whenever they arise up, it's not always exactly the same way. The purpose of discipline is for the continuing of the perfecting of the saints. It's, the, it's for the maturing and the edifying of the body of Christ. We read about the edification of the body of Christ in Ephesians chapter 4. When it comes to discipline in a church, the discipline of church members involves a few different things. It can involve teaching, first of all. This is instructive type discipline that comes from discipleship and so on. What it does is it contemplates a Christian's growth from the fact that they are a baby in Christ to a perfect, mature, or complete man. And the way that we would treat somebody who is a baby in Christ isn't exactly the same way that we would treat somebody who knows better, who's mature in the Lord. There's teaching type of discipline, but there's also correction, corrective type of discipline. This is the kind where people are corrected for an error. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, to preach the word, to be instant in season, out of season, to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. An example of this might be that there's a brother in the church or a sister in the church and there's something going on in their life that is in error with the word of God. It's contrary to the word of God. It might be something that, that is is. Not even necessarily sin, but it could easily lead to that. It might be dealing with an issue of sin in their life. And, and the correction is, hey, brother, hey, brother, this is going on in your life. And the Bible says this. This has got to stop, brother. This needs to stop now. It's the corrective type of discipline that goes on. That helps to build and to grow. This is an ongoing type. It's exercised continually through preaching, through teaching, through admonishing of the word of God, through being accountable one to another as members of the New Testament church. But then there's also the punitive kind of church discipline. Like we see in, with the man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 
who was living in fornication. Church discipline isn't just remedial or corrective, but church discipline can also be punitive. Meaning that wrong behavior that's continued in needs to be punished. And that happens when we exclude one who is living in sin. Now, I wanted to, that's just a brief overview and synopsis of of church discipline inside of the church. And I said all of that because it seems from the wording that the, the Apostle Paul is using here with the church in Thessalonica, that the kind of discipline that Paul is instructing in is more of the corrective type where people are corrected for their error rather than being put out of the church. Now, just follow with me here for a second. And by the way, I'm, I'm not going to fight anybody over this. Uh, it, there's principles here that could go either way. But when we take a look at the wording that Paul is using and we even compare it with what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 regarding the man who was living in fornication. In fact, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. First Corinthians five and verse one. Paul says it's reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For, for I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so, so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover sacrificed for us. Regarding this man who was living in fornication, Paul uses some really straightforward and strong words that are very clear in what the church needed to do. He said in verse 2 that this person should be taken away from you. He said in verse 5 that he should be delivered. Uh, Deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Verse 7, he says, purge out that one. That's punitive. In its discipline. But when you compare it to what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says, mark those individuals, don't fellowship with them, withdraw from them, but he doesn't say purge it out from you. And like I said, I'm, I'm not going to fight anybody over this, but it doesn't seem that Paul is saying to remove these individuals, rather correct them, discipline them in correction for the opportunity of, of, of getting them right in the Lord and with the Lord. Now, either way that goes, whichever way you want to take it, what we do find here is the principle of separation. 
And that's really what I want us to focus on here for the next few minutes is the principle of separation that Paul is, is giving here. So Paul is saying, either way you want to look at it, Paul is saying you need to mark the individual, note the man or those who are living contrary to the teaching of the word of God and have no company with them. Withdraw yourselves. Don't fellowship with them. And so somebody might say, wait a second, pastor. In a church, are you saying that sometimes there needs to be separation from some people, even inside of a church? And pastor, aren't, aren't we supposed to dwell together in unity? Aren't we supposed to consider one another and to provoke to love and to good works? Isn't that how we're supposed to operate in a New Testament church? And the answer to that question is yes. All of those things are absolutely true. We are to do all of those things. But Paul says, here in this situation, note that one. It means make a distinction from the others. Distinguish from the others. Actually, making a distinction or distinguishing from the others is part of considering one another. And, and the idea of the word really holds this meaning. It's a personal, mental marking that is made by an individual. This distinguishing inside of the church is actually found in other places in the Bible, too. Go to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. In verse 17, Paul writing to the church in Rome, he says in verse 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Inside of this church, make a notation. Mark them that cause divisions that are contrary to the doctrine that you have learned, and avoid them. But there's also, that's a bad mark. That's a bad distinguishing, right? To be known for one who causes divisions and offenses in the church, that's a bad kind of distinguishing from the others. But if you look in first, excuse me, Philippians chapter 3, the same exact wording is used, only it's on the other side. Paul says to the church, in Philippi, in Philippians 3 and verse 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. He says, Brethren, follow me in the Lord, and mark those, make notation of those who are doing the same thing, who have that kind of an example. Now look at the next verse, though. He says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Make a distinction here. And note those who are following after us in the way of righteousness. And friend, would, would that we all were known for that kind of a name. Marked as those who follow after righteousness. Now, what was Paul saying was the distinguishing from others. What was that all about? Let's go back to our text in 2 Thessalonians 3. What was this distinguishing all about? Because he says, note that one. 
What did this have to do with? Well, in verse 14, he says, If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him. Look at verse 6. We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition or the teaching which he received of us. What then is the criteria that Paul is giving here for avoiding or withdrawing from somebody? The criteria for withdrawing or avoiding was disobedience in some fashion to the precepts and the principles of the word of God. This became the criteria. In other words, in a church setting, you know what? Somebody's gotten a rotten, they got a rotten spirit about them. They got a bad attitude about them. That's contrary to the word of God. It's contrary to the spirit of God. It's contrary to the unity of the church. And this person is known for their rotten spirit or bad attitude. Paul says, you know what? You should mark that person. Note that person in your mind and avoid them. Somebody who's worldly in their lifestyle, contrary to the word of God, their life doesn't demonstrate godliness. They actually have a, 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 a penchant toward worldliness about them. It's a good idea to mark that, note that person, and avoid it. Avoid them. Hey, parents, this is really good instruction when it comes to our kids. Sometimes in churches, there are groups of kids or teenagers or whatever, and they're worldly, and they don't, they don't have uh, you know, uh, godliness in their life. They don't seem to want to. And listen, evil communications corrupt good manners. Sometimes it's important and necessary to mark that, to make note of that, and say, you know what, I don't want that around me. I don't want that attitude, that spirit around me. I need to avoid it because of the influence or the effect that it would have on my own life or even in my family. The criteria, though, is withdrawing or avoiding when there is disobedience in some fashion to the precepts and the principles of the word of God. And we should not deceive ourselves. That's what 1 Corinthians 15.33 says. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Now, not every case requires punitive discipline. Any one of the things that Paul lists here, though, could easily lead to punitive discipline if it's not corrected, if it's not addressed, if it's not changed. Some discipline is corrective in nature. The separation is so that they might be ashamed of their behavior. Notice that what Paul says in verse 14, have no company with him that he may be ashamed. You know what that means? It carries the meaning of, of this particular behavior, but it, it, it carries the meaning of the one coming to their senses so that they start to live right. In other words, withdraw yourself, have no company, that they may be ashamed, that they might come to their senses so they start to live right. There's one side of it. 
The other side of it is safety for you so that that influence doesn't rub off on you. Christians are directed by Scripture to withdraw or to disassociate themselves from other brethren who choose to live in direct obedience to the Word of God. The Word of God is the standard that needs to shape our life. Not my own feelings, not my own desires, not, not the way that I think. We need our life to align with the Word of God. That's got to be the standard. And when there are those in a church who choose to live in disobedience to the Word of God, there needs to be correction. Ultimately, if there's not correction that's made, there needs to be punishment, punitive discipline. So that's the first instruction that Paul gives. He says, mark them or identify them and separate from them. But then Paul says in verse 15, he says, we ought to love them and we ought to admonish them. In verse 15, he says, Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. The word admonish here, it means to put in mind, it means to caution, and it means to urge. In this case, the urging is to urge the brother to do right. Admonish him, urge him to do right, to put him in mind, to help him remember. The fundamental idea here is to put sense or biblical wisdom into the mind of the individual so that it changes the behavior. You follow that? That's important. In order to do that, communication lines have got to be open for that. In order to urge or to caution or to put sense, biblical wisdom into their mind in order to change the behavior. Communication lines have got to be open. Paul says, admonish him as a brother. That word means from the womb. That's what it means. But it literally carries the meaning like family. Admonish him like family. In other words, in other words, when there's admonishing going on, understand this, when there's admonishing going on, he says there's no hostile feelings that are to be connected with the avoidance of fellowship with the erring brother, but rather loving admonition because of the fact that we are literally family. We're brothers in the Lord. Does that make sense? Here's the application. Because it, to me, this brings up the issue of extremes. So Paul says, here's how you need to treat them. There's avoidance. But it's not with hostile feelings. There's avoidance, but it's not with animosity towards them. In fact, it's the opposite. Literally, as your brother, you lovingly admonish and warn and caution and urge. And to me, this brings up the issue of extremes. Rather than being balanced as the Lord Jesus Christ was, who the Bible says was full of grace and truth, he never, he never wavered from truth, but Jesus was also full of grace at the same time and balanced. Instead of being balanced that way, we often have the, the tendency to go to extremes. 
either we're too lenient on something or we're too harsh on something. That, you, does that make sense? You following me here? And Paul stresses here that they were not to treat this person or these people as enemies. What that word meant was to basically cut off from all contact. He says, don't treat them like an enemy, but admonish them as brethren, as fellow believers in the Lord. There's some good balance in that. But you know what our tendency is? Our tendency is to get pretty judgy. Even self-righteous when we start to see faults in other people. Sometimes either we're too lenient on it and we don't deal with the issue or deal with the situation or we're too harsh on it and we come down in the wrong fashion that doesn't actually, uh, isn't actually helpful in this situation, but it actually could drive wedges farther and farther away. What's the idea of discipline? It's the purpose of, uh, of uh, it's for the purpose of reconciliation. It's the purpose of, of getting it right. And Paul says here in this text that the reason you want to do this is to put sense into them, biblical sense in them, so it changes the behavior. That's good. That's really good. Well, that reminds me of Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. The spirit of meekness, the spirit of humility should go along with the avoidance and go along with the urging to get it right and to do right. I don't want to separate from my brother, but you know what? That kind of behavior and that kind of living, that is not okay. And brother, this is not going to go well for you in your life. I want to urge you. I want to admonish you, brother. Get it right. Do right. Change the behavior. But I can't just go along with it as if everything's okay. And have the close fellowship because we're not in agreement here. Well, we can get pretty judgy sometimes and even self-righteous when we see faults in others. The other extreme is, oh, you did that? Oh, you're that kind of a person? Oh, how horrible. We have to avoid that. We need to stay away from you. Right? That's the other extreme. As if I'm immune or as if I've never done anything wrong and Boy, I can't be around that. That's a negative influence in my life. The spirit and the heart and the attitude behind it makes all the difference. Now, when there's a spirit of meekness and there's a spirit of humility, it goes along with that urging to get it right and to do right. Friend, that right there is actually considering one another and provoking unto love and to good works. Spiritual discernment is very important. But so is urging others to be obedient to the word of God in every facet of life. That's also very important. And the two need to go hand in hand. And so what we find here is the principle of separation. It shouldn't be this way, but sometimes in a New Testament church, there should be some avoidance. 
But there should also be urging to get it right and to do right, to follow the Lord, to follow the Word of God, to live life according to the tradition or the teaching of the principles of the Word of God. And so Paul says, make a distinguishing among them. Withdraw yourself if that's what's necessary so that they might be ashamed. They might have some sense into them so the behavior changes. And I think those are important and valuable principles for God's people even still today. To have some spiritual discernment. But to also have a heart of meekness and humility that urges and admonishes one another in the Lord to do right and follow the word of God. Amen? Now the rest of this letter is Paul's closing remarks to the church. And he says in verse 16, Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. As Paul often did, uh, Paul leaves this church with a desire for them, and the desire for them was that the peace of God would be in their life, along with the grace of God filling their life. And we need the same thing peace of God and the grace of God in our life. And we're going to talk about that next time as we finish out this epistle to the church in Thessalonica. And we'll make some applications of how much we need God's peace and how much we need God's grace. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word and its instruction. And I pray, Lord, that it's helpful to your people. And Father, that we number one, would have a desire to align our life with God's word. Paul said to the church, those who are walking disorderly, in other words, in, that are contrary to the teaching and the preaching to the word of God, those were not the kind that you want influencing your life. But there should be an admonition for all of God's people to align their life with the word of God, to not walk in a way or live in a way that is contrary to Bible principle. And Lord, if there is some area of our life where that is true, may we have the heart of David who said, search me and try me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me so that we can be right with you. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us and give us your grace, Lord, to live this way. Thank you for the time here tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.